Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Tim Priest with Pete Sampson and Tim O'Malley. The day after the 2017 signing date for Notre Dame, Notre Dame came on, as everybody is talking about, came on very strong down the end, finished strong with defensive line, um, you know, linebacker or a rover, and you just don't normally get that those kind of closes in the recruiting process. But we have a ton to talk about, our, uh, our awards, picking out the best and worst, I guess, of the, the class of 2017. And, um, you know, we talked about it in our instant analysis yesterday to close as strongly as Notre Dame did under the circumstances. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't eliminate the misses at defensive end and at cornerback because those are certainly weak uh, weaknesses in this class. But to close as strong as Notre Dame did with a staff turning over and doing it in such an incredibly short period of time, was pretty impressive. Yeah, I thought it was a solid class under really difficult circumstances for sure. I mean, it was a, a sort of a stereotypical Notre Dame class where it's really hard to get pass rushers, but they do great signing offensive linemen and tight ends. Um, you know, it's not no surprise you look at Stanford's class yesterday. It looks sort of the same. <laughs> They're great offensive linemen, tight ends, and quarterback. Um, you know, Notre Dame is in a similar boat there. So I thought. You know, this recruiting is running a marathon for these coaches, and in the middle of the race, somebody dropped a mountain in the middle of it, and then they had to climb that to get to the other side, and I thought they did a really admirable job about that. I asked Mike Elston, basically, look, look, I know everyone would like to sign more five-star prospects, but under the circumstances, you got to feel really good about this, right? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, because in mid-January, he admitted... I didn't know if we were going to get another commitment. Yeah, and and in, a, in a business where it's all about sort of projecting confidence and everything's going great, I mean, he was very open and honest about it, which I thought was cool because, yeah, it was it was a very difficult time when that staff was turning over in the middle of the dead period. You're losing a couple commitments. You're just not really sure how it's all going to shake out. So I thought they, they did a good job with it. And the circumstances are the reality. I know there's some, some people are saying this is – people have lowered the bar that was uh, on the message board. But yeah. this, this is the reality of the situation. Well, you, you can't change 4-8. and eight. Right. That you, happened you months ago. Can't there's do nothing it. you can do about right. that at this point. And once you started losing a few commits in, in late December – I guess it was all in January – this is a remarkable comeback from and, that. And if you change head coaches, do you, do you finish as strong – as they just did, Pete. Uh, you probably would lose a couple, a couple more guys. I I would assume. Um, I do think the the whole class, the way it pulled together, one, it's a it's a, a testament to them really picking up the pieces late. Um, organization of the official visits, where you host nine official visitors in the last two weeks and ultimately sign six of them. I also think it's a real compliment to Notre Dame itself, the university outside of whoever is recruiting for it. Um, because I, so much of this class holding together had to do with the institution, um, maybe as much if not more than the football program itself. So it's um, to answer that question, 
I don't know, but I think it it sort of sets a sets the the floor or reminds us what the floor is for Notre Dame recruiting. If you have a good organized staff, which Notre Dame does, this is sort of you know what you should be churning yeah. out every year at a minimum. And as as you pointed out yesterday, Tim, in the instant analysis, the the Brian Kelly giving credit to the fifteen. Yeah. That stuck with Notre Dame and C.J. Holmes and some other guys that were kind of at the forefront of uh, making sure the class stayed together and encouraging others to join. I mean, because if that was the eleven, we wouldn't be talking about this right now. You know, that that it was the fifteen. Yeah. They were they were it was a sinking ship. Yeah. Those guys stuck it out, and it's it, it's just good that uh, you know obviously the shiny new toys are everybody's favorite at this point, but some of them are pretty important new toys of those final six. It's not. I don't really. Obviously, they're not all going to hit those those final six. It's, it's clear that never happens. But would you agree, Pete? The final six look a lot better than the usual final three do when they're scrambling at the end. Yeah, I I, I definitely feel that way. And it's, it's been a while since they've added this much late in new January offers. I mean, you almost maybe have to go back to that first Kelly class where you had Spawns, but he was a major exception. I, I mean, I look at this group. I do think Tagovailoa, as long as the fit is good once he gets out here, I have a hard time seeing him not having at least a Konishwenke plus right, right. type of college career. Jeremiah Wusu Karmora, I mean, that's as good a fit as they have in the new defense, maybe of the entire class. He's going to be the star of our next uh, segment talking here, I have a feeling. Yeah, I would yeah, imagine yeah. so. Uh, <laughs> you know, a kicker is you. He'll get on the field. Um, you know, Jafar Armstrong, I think, is a good prospect. He, super fit for the school. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what kind of speed he actually has once he, you know, that translates yeah, to college Yeah, we're kind level. of at odds with Brian Kelly on that. I, you, don't, yeah. you know, take the top off speed, I don't know. We'll see. If that's I mean, necessarily true. But he, he like has playmaking. He, yeah. yeah, he has playmaking Billy mm-hmm. at the back end of it. Yeah, and then, you know, Jordan Genmar-Keith is... I think a good fit for safety. If they hadn't got a Wusu Carmo, I would have thought he would have maybe been a future rover. And then Kofi Warlow is the biggest wild card who does, doesn't really have the connections to Notre Dame that maybe some of these other guys do. So that that would be the biggest question. I talked to him last night. And, you know, he's he's played football for two years. Thought he was going to be a basketball guy. And I asked him, you know, hey, like, when did you decide? And he's like, I was really wrestling with this and admitted, look. Maryland was the easy decision. Notre Dame was a really hard decision. I think he was still sort of coming to terms with the fact that he had made the hard decision. Um, so he's he's I mean he's definitely a five year project. But I am I've said this for years. I'll keep saying it. Give me a project, a defensive end every year who's six three, roughly two twenty, and then check back in three years. Um, you know your Ade Ogundeje's. You know, Colin Hill didn't work out. Johnny Williams didn't work out. You know, Bo Wallace never even made it here. But I think you you have to keep taking those guys, hoping that one of them turns into something uh, special. I, I think especially in a Mike Elko defense. I mean, a guy that's got a track record, a proven track record of developing players like that. You have to feel you have to feel better about the the, the possibilities with a guy like that under Mike Elko. Yeah, because I mean, he took the equivalent of Kofi Wardlow at Wake Forest, and that guy had ten sacks. Um, Duke, I think Edgy Four is his name, but he was a two star recruit. Um, not even in the top hundred at the position, so you would hope. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, you would hope that with a, a better staff, good teachers, uh, you know, an easier scheme to pick up. That in 
three years' time, we'll see something for Wardlow, Wardlow and be like, oh, this guy's somebody that maybe could get you four or five sacks. So this bar won't ever be reached again at Notre Dame or many places, but t- that was, of course, the famous two-star was Justin Tuck for, for that situation. Mm-hmm. Now, now Aquara, a little more highly thought of than guys like Johnny Williams, but he was in that Bo Wallace range, a little below the I Bo mean, Wallace he range. Was, right? he, had off, he had an yeah. offer from Clemson. Yeah, that's good. That's um, good yeah. Which, you know, that's a good, that's a nice compliment <laughs> to him. But, um, yeah, I'd say... Okay, if if Kofi Wardlow has a Romeo Aquara type career, but there's a fifth year to it, I think you would take that in a heartbeat yeah, if you're Notre absolutely. Dame. Well, kind of following up on uh, Pete, the uh, story that you and Jake Brown and Steve Hare did yesterday, giving out MVPs and various, uh, quote, awards for this class, we're kind of going to follow a similar pattern here and start with uh, who you feel is the most valuable player in this class heading into it? Um, for defense, I think it's Ewell. I think he's most important and the most valuable and the best. Um, if it's the best offensive commitment, I think it's Brock Wright, but I don't think you're... You know, you also get Komet, so is he the most valuable? I think the most valuable might be Lug because I don't see other tackles of an Eichenberg on the roster in the future. Um, I think Brock Wright is the best one. Um, you could also go way outside the box and say if they didn't land a quarterback, they'd have some problems going to next year. Yeah. But, you know, I think Brock Wright's the best one. I think Lug in the future will be the most important because I think he's the he and Eichenberg are your tackles for the future. Yeah, I I went with Wright, um, but you easily could have gone with Ewell there. It's it's one of those two guys. I mean, well, it's offense, just, it's defense. Offense I mean, defense. I think and, and I, those yeah, are the we're going to end up ranking the recruits. All five of us are going to rank the recruits. And I think it's pretty much going to be a consensus that it's right, Yule and Lug. I, I, I may be speaking for you guys there, but that that that's my top yeah. three. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fair, and I think Komet would be a solid number four. Um, so, but yeah, those, those would be my guys. Most intriguing for you guys? Uh, I mean, Owosu Karamoa is I. That's my favorite film I watched this year. It doesn't mean it's the best. I mean, I think that's, yeah. that's just there, there's there's I, there's no denying the film. Yeah, that's that by far. I mean, I, you see him. Obviously, you think Rover because he's all over the field. He can play safety. I mean, he's listed as a lot. You know, he's, he he looks like a Rover, right? He's he's long. He's well in the grades. I put him with the linebackers because Clark Lee clearly stated yeah. Yeah. Rover yesterday. Yeah. So I, I put him with that group. If it's an offensive one, Armstrong is intriguing to me. If not only because yeah. I thought of everything else besides top end speed, and now they're telling me that he can run. So that's uh, <laughs> now I like him. Yeah. Who do you, who do you have, Pete? Most intriguing to me was like, I I went with Owusu Karamoa. Um, I think he's the most underrated too. Um, yeah, it's it's the he's a three star prospect, but a four star fit. I think that's probably the best way to describe him moving forward. I mean, you watch the film and you you get why he's a three star prospect because like I see a kid that gets through like the first three gears real fast, but then I'm not sure if I see the fourth and fifth gear at like a four star level. But if you're at the line of scrimmage, you have to have start with the first three gears. Yes. I don't care that it, you if you can't track a guy down forty yards on the field, that's okay. Because um, he can get to the football in a hurry and is is pretty physical. Yeah, I think maybe part of that you're talking about Taco Vailoa, right? No, I'm talking about Wusu Carmo. Okay, I, okay. Well, that's because I'm looking at Taco Vailoa's <laughs> name right here because I think I think he's intriguing, especially since he played defensive end in high school and he he moves inside and and so I think you gain something there. For me, um, Gemar Keith is intriguing to me because I think that that's a, a, a the term I keep using is physical, physically mature football player. 
and I think that he can help you. I, I, I'm not really. I'm not convinced that he's a safety. I'm, I'm looking more at Rover, and I know Wusu's already there, but I think it's a physically mature football player, a, a a mature football player, a little bit older apparently than some of the other seniors. And a kid that's, I think I said this on Monday, that's worldly. He was born in Sweden, and, and uh, I think he's a guy that can, uh, that's going to be intriguing for me. Best Twitter handle as well, uh, if you're yes. following him. Yeah. Swedish black guy. <laughs> uh, most surprising get in the class? Uh, I read our blog, as Brian Kelly would say, and I didn't hear anything about uh, Jonathan Dorer until uh, until it happened. So if you want to go by the most surprising, yeah, I was okay. pretty surprised by that. Yeah. Were you aware he was in the class before Wednesday? Yeah, that's right. I think he was the only one where I was like, woke up the Who's next day. That? What? Why is this on the page? <laughs> so, Bernie got a kicker. What's his name? Yeah, that's that. That would be mine for that reason. Uh, Darno Yule. I mean, like he's cool personality, interesting kid. From an area Notre Dame never has recruiting success, so that's surprises to me are high schools and regions, and in both instances, Darnell Ewell isn't somebody you look at and be like, "Yeah, Notre Dame's got a great shot there." Almost everybody in the class you can say like, "Oh yeah, I understand why Notre Dame would have a good chance to get him," except for Darnell Ewell, um, who on top of that, Notre Dame beat Ohio State for. So that's that's the biggest surprise. I would say Wusu Koromoa because usually late in the process when I see a guy that I love that much, he doesn't go Notre Dame's way. <laughs> um, and he did, and they were battling Michigan State, and maybe Michigan State having a, a terrible year themselves uh, played a role in Notre Dame landing him. But I, that was the best news of the of the day for me in terms of late, late catches. How about the uh, commit with the most to prove? Uh, I mean, Kofi Wardlow, for sure, for me. Um, like I said to Two year college, two years of high school football. You know, when I talked to him last night, I asked him sort of, you know, was football something you really love? And he's like, not really. And I, I haven't watched a lot, so he's he will be one of those new to the game. Like we joke that Brian Kelly describes a junior as young. Kofi Wardlow will be described as a young junior at some young, point in his be career because um, he just he has not played a lot of football and he does not have a huge amount of connections. So that was another thing. <laughs> with these guys who get late, you get in late. You always ask them, you know, what's the Notre Dame connection with Jafar Armstrong? Was obvious, you know, Bishop Miez or Jordan Gemar Keith with Rick Meyer, with Wardlow. It's like, you know, do you know anybody at Notre Dame? You know, that's played at Notre Dame. Any sort of connections? And he's, his quote was, "No connection, no connection." Um, you know the record. So he's, I mean, he's just gonna, he's gonna be in a new world when he gets here, and uh, that's it'll be interesting to watch how that shakes out. You wonder if he woke up this morning with buyer's remorse. Yeah. I, you know, I, he's, I think he's gonna get here, and he's gonna be one of the kids that is, he's gonna be really picking up a lot on the fly. Um, every freshman gets homesick. I think he'll probably fall in that boat too. But his, he said his parents were. Huge in academics and really wanted him to be challenged. I think the the best quote that he gave me is like, "I'm coming in academics. We're going to be a challenge, and I want a challenge." Uh, and then he talked up the support that you have at Notre Dame as a student athlete. So if he can sort of stick with that perspective, which he'll be challenged for sure, um, then he should be okay. It's just it, he doesn't have a lot of track record with Notre Dame. When I consider guys for most improved, I only look at four stars. Most improved, yeah. Most or most, most to prove. Yeah. Most to prove. I, four stars. And it'd be difficult for me to 
to just say one, but the three would be David Adams, uh, Avery Davis, and Dylan Gibbons. Uh, those are the Good those fair. are the three four stars that I have my biggest doubts about. Partly Adams, a uh, couple things, the injury. You know, a, a a true pure Mike linebacker in a spread offense world that college football now lives in. I think yeah. that's difficult. Avery Davis, he's got Phil Jerkovic right behind him. And Brandon Wimbush, who's going to have the job for some time. And, and Dylan Gibbons, I, I, I just don't know that his game translates to the next level. But we'll see. First name I wrote down was Adams. Uh, it, if you just listen to – you can't find consensus opinion if you talk to like six people on David. They're all over yeah. the place. There are – we heard – if you're talking around the Goog yesterday where you heard, no, that's that was that's a misevaluation, and then we heard, you know, no, he knows what he's doing outside to play football. There's the injury. He's the 88th ranked player yeah. in the class by scout.com. I mean, I think Adams definitely one of the most approved for all the reasons you listed and just because – now, looking bad in All-Star Week when you're injured, that's the one part you got to throw out, right? Yeah. That's just, I would disregard yeah, that. Yeah, I would disregard that aspect. Yeah, but I, well, he was hurt during his senior year, yeah, and yeah. I saw senior film that I didn't didn't think was very impressive either. But, hey, he's going to get a clean slate. Yeah. I keep wanting to call David Adams Mike Adams because he's a Mike. <laughs> so correct me when I make yeah. that mistake please, because please it is inevitable. stories to us. To yeah, it's, ine- <laughs> it's inevitable. Uh, next up. I guess the commit you think will make the biggest impact early. Uh, I mean, Ewell because of opportunity, C.J. Holmes because of special teams and possible opportunity. And I like Robertson because he enrolled early and it's a clean slate back there. That's a good call. In the secondary. Yeah, Isaiah Robinson would be my pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they, don't, they don't have a lot at safety. He's like basically a default too deep player. Right. If, he, if, it, if he has a good spring and works hard, and he's really well put together. Um I think he'll he'll get on the field, in, certainly in special teams, maybe in the same way that Jalen Elliott got into the defense last year. I would say Yule because even if Cage you know clears the concussions and all that, he's still not a guy that's going to play every snap. He right. hasn't been able to do that up to this point, and there's really no reason as he heads into his final year. Isn't that weird to think? Yeah. That he's heading into his final year? Am yeah, I you're right? You're right, because no, there was no red shirt, and it was limited play in 14. Yeah. 2014 season. So I say Yule, I mean, for a couple reasons, one of which is he's as strong as an ox. Yeah, that uh, he would be he would be high on my list, too. <laughs> It'll be, that will be the exception defensive lineman who makes an impact right away. MVP um, recruiter? I went with Elston, just because they needed somebody to pull the thing together, and I think he did a good job with that. Um you know, I think for the most part, was it a, a you know, it certainly wasn't pitching a perfect game uh, down the stretch, but it was a, a winning performance. Um, it was definitely a quality start if you want to take that baseball analogy and run with it. But at, I thought they did a good job to take what was a very, very difficult situation. Uh, and I, I asked them, because I, I went into signing day thinking like, well, the 4-8 record, that was a real problem. And... So I asked Elston that, and he's like, actually, it was the relationships walking out the door was a huge problem. I mean, we were trying to kick in doors, getting kids just to answer the phone, and he said, we had a lot that wouldn't. Um, so they they really worked hard to find guys. I mean, this, this wasn't a situation where we had a decommit. Well, we know who our next guy is. Got him. It was, we had a decommit. We like that guy. He's not answering the phone, and then maybe the next guy's not answering the phone. Like we have to keep working to find somebody who's a good fit 
and a good player, and I thought they did a good job, um, especially with the five sort of offense-defense commits they got late. Mine was Elston, too, just hearing him use the word. Our relationships were severed. Yeah. I mean, that yesterday. And also, he he downplayed it and, you know, saying Ewell was always Notre Dame, but Keith Gilmore was his recruiter. Elston had to go in and right. build the relationship with him and one most important recruiter. I, I can't add to that. Mike Elston. Yeah, and I mean, I asked Elston about Ewell, and he's, even though Ewell was solid the whole time, Notre Dame wasn't sure if that was the case. Um, so Elston went in there, and he, yeah, he said after Keith Gilmore left, he's like, okay. But after one conversation, they felt good about it. Biggest loss in the class. The one that got away. Robert Beal. I mean, I, he's a top 100 defensive end. And and, and it's, he was, I think one, the one, one of the reasons this hurt the most was He's a he was a fringe five star guy early, from SEC country, but he had the Notre Dame connection with his grandmother being up here, and it's just like you don't get those very often. To to not be able to capitalize on that was is is real difficult. What do these four names have in common? Robert Beal, Josh Kando, Donovan Jeter, Jalen Harris. They're all potentially impact defensive ends, and and Notre Dame. In order for Notre Dame to get to the next level, it starts. Yeah. It starts there. It just starts at defensive end. So whichever one you want to pick, that was a huge loss. And I also think Paulson Adebo. You know, obviously, no cornerbacks. That should never, ever right. happen in a class. Circumstances dictate that a little bit. I get it, but what I'm real curious about. I listened to a podcast where David Shaw was on last night, and he said that Paulson Adebo was their number one corner target. Which makes me think that Paulson Adebo wasn't sure if he was going to get into Stanford. And then That's when he did, it was like Notre Dame didn't have a shot to keep him. You know what these three names have in common? Jeter, Beal, and Adebo. Notre Dame will be playing them an aggregate eight times over the next four <laughs> years. So those are all things that got away. You know, if, if they just would have gotten Adebo to have one corner in the class after last year's three, right. it would be an A over the last two years of the position instead yeah. of people pointing at the hole. Yeah. Um, but totally I think agree. Jeter Beal obviously is the number one, but these guys, they get to play these guys too. That's going to be a blast. That yeah. reminded me of a story I used to do. I used to do two classes. I have maybe, a, maybe right a, there. Yeah. Okay, well, then I'll <laughs> let you go ahead and do that story because ultimately that is, maybe that's kind of coach speak, but ultimately that is. You, you, I totally agree you with no, you. No one other than Alabama and Ohio State get, Exactly what they need in a class. Notre Dame doesn't. I've been doing it 35 years. Notre Dame doesn't. But when you put two together, it's a little bit more of a realistic picture. Before we get out of this segment, (laughs) I I wanted to talk to you guys about something Kelly said yesterday in a a question I asked about. Basically, he sort of looks at if Notre Dame's between 5 and 15, they're probably almost never going to get higher than 5. And they're fine as long as they don't go below 15. What did you guys think when, when he said that? You know, I, I at first I thought, why would you put a, la- a limit on that? But mm-hmm. the 2013, maybe he really researched it a little. The 2013 class, which, if you keep getting that, was fifth for Scout.com. That's mm-hmm. the Jalen Smith, Will Fuller class. Yeah. And there is a zero. You can easily compete for a national championship. A national championship if you get three out of four 2013 classes. Um, 15, I, I guess, is just a number. You don't, I don't know why that's a weird number to throw out there. I, I look back and like that 2012 class, um, they got a bunch of five stars, a bunch of them transferred away. They ended up with seven guys in it. This is the Chris Brown class, Sheldon Day, Ronnie Stanley, Stanley. Kamari Russell. Um, 
they were ranked 20th, but it's because of number. Remember, they brought in 16. So, I mean, it's going to be a small class next year, supposedly. <laughs> There's always going to be room, of course. But maybe maybe he did a little research on it and thought, best class I've ever had was number five. It kind of, And that was an interesting conversation after the press conference between Coach Kelly and, and Pete Sampson. Yeah, well, because he came over and he knew, he said... He was already walking upstairs and came back talking. Yeah. And I, you're in the middle. No I was, one ever does that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he never comes down the road. But when he... Leaned over and started talking to me. He was like, "Hey, our average ranking over my eight years is, okay. you know, ten point eight or something." So he he had that information, um, you know, on on the brain a little bit. It it did. I think people definitely take it as like, again, why would you put a limit on it? But you look top their their best class was fifth on scout. I think their worst was the, well, the I guess the first one if you really want to count yeah, it was, was 19th. Not really his. Not really yeah. something you count. This was 13th last year was 14th. Uh, you know when their Fiesta Bowl season, um, and I think he you know used the term distinctions, which is I think code for we're not gray shirting anybody, we're not cutting anybody, uh, we're not processing anybody. And if I think you look at what goes on at Alabama, other SEC schools, what's happening at Michigan and Ohio State right now, it's almost like the top five spots are taken, and you're you're fighting to see how close you can get to it. It is because the rank it's at least with Scout the rankings the numbers do matter like total commits matter, which is kind of a weird way of looking at. It. I know it is it's a numbers game because if you bring in thirty recruits, fifteen have a chance to be good. If you bring in twenty, ten do so it helps. But of those thirty, they're not all coming to your campus. They're no nobody's getting these guys all on their campus. Yeah. So I, it, it's a little misleading when the numbers get out of whack because they're not all ending up there in the end anyway, and clearly they can't. But it is a numbers game. You do you do need numbers. You can't have a class of seventeen or eighteen guys and rank in the top five. I, I didn't read too much into it, Pete, because one of the things that popped in my head was it was a. He's just looking at it realistically. It's not not like they're not going to try to get a top five class. If they're in that position, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. go ahead and do that. The thing it reminded me of was Mike Bray always starting out with yes. nine and nine to start the season, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not that he's saying we're shooting for nine and nine, but it's like you set goals and that's the initial goal. If we get to nine and nine, we've got a chance. To be fair, if Bray said somewhere between nine and nine and thirteen and five, you'd be more okay. He with would that. like, yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> He's like, but is, uh, yeah, but he understands yeah. the realities of. Uh, he's got. He has a much greater, uh, uh, higher degree of difficulty getting the thirteen and five, yeah. maybe than Notre Dame uh, in football and their recruiting ranking. Yeah, because it's. I mean, the, the reason I sort of asked about that, I didn't do a good job asking the question because I really, I really wanted to know was okay. You're sitting here, good class, thirteenth. Okay, now you've got your staff totally in place. Some good vibes around the program, some energy. Do you feel like you have everything in place to push into the top ten or maybe the top five? Um, I think he took it as more like, "What are you saying? This class isn't any good." <laughs> well, that's yeah. what he said. Yeah, and I was like, "That's not. That wasn't what I meant." But what I are you saying? This class isn't any good. Yeah, but I didn't do a very good job asking the question because um, I do, I do think sort of the missing link is to find a five star here or there that that's willing to come now. It, would it make a difference if you signed Foster Serrell instead of Josh Lug? Is that a is that a big uptick? It's an uptick, but that's not really what I'm talking You're about. You're adding Serrell for someone else. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying, can you get the Beals or um, Kando types? Because I mean, you look at, and especially in next class, which is going to be heavy on skill position players. 
not play, not tight ends and offensive linemen. Five stars signed over the last four years. Alabama has 21. USC has 15. Florida State has 13. Ohio State has nine. Michigan has five. Notre Dame has two. Can you can you get a couple or one on an annual basis? Because I mean, let's let's face it. For for every Ishak Williams who was a five star and didn't pan out, it feels like there's been two or three Tuits, Jalen's, Mantis. Um, I mean, I would say Aaron Aaron Lynch panned out in a funky way. If he just would have stayed was, one more year, he'd yeah. have panned out great. Um, that's the you know get. Guys like that that you look at and say, like, this guy can come in and make an impact right away. Um, that's that's sort of where I w- wanted to go with that. So the only ones on the roster now are Alizé Jones and Morgan. And then did Rivals back in the day have Quentin Nelson as a five-star? Uh, I don't He's know. He's a five-star now. So they, that, had, that, they had Dalen Hayes as one. Okay. Um, you know, so, but I think I think Nelson was as well. So they there are certainly guys on the roster that, that were yeah. five-stars somewhere. Um, you know, we're just sort of looking at the scout.com rankings. Okay, we're going to come back uh, long segment one. We'll come back for segment two in a minute. Burning up the board, segment two starts with a question from YTMFD. How would you rank this class among all of Kelly's classes as viewed on signing day? Good. I mean, I would say. Middle of the road. Yeah. It's, it, when you say it's average, people take that the wrong way. <laughs> but statistically, it's it's an it's an average class from Brian Kelly. It's I mean, you just look at the scout rankings. 15, 14, 13, and eleven were better. They were six, six, fifth, and eighth, and seventh or sixteen, twelve, and ten were worse. They were fourteen, sixteen, and nineteen. Thirteen falls right in the middle. I did. I quickly went through. This isn't the only way to do it, but uh, the top uh, 300 for all the classes. And no surprise, the 2013 class of 23 or 24 guys. This does not include Vanderdose. Had 17 Scout 300 players in it, which is really impressive. And obviously, they also had heavy hitters in uh, Jalen Smith, Will Fuller's more after the fact. Um, next in line was the 2014 class, which is the current seniors. Shows you what rankings can do for you. Uh, they were they had 14 top 300 guys, guys like Niles Morgan, Drew Tranquil, um, along those lines. The 15 class, which I guess is defined by Sean Crawford, that, that class of people are trying to think, had 13. Um, the 2012 class had 10, but it was five-star heavy. Sheldon Day, Gunnar Keel, um, T. Shepard, and Devontae Neal was a four, but and, those are guys that and. transfer, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> then you look back at 2011, uh, which I thought would be the second-best class. Only had ten top 300 guys. However, it was five-star Aaron Lynch, five-star Stephon Tewitt, five-star Ushak Williams. So that's you. no one viewed that class as anything but the second-best, right? Yeah. Okay, I mean, Troy Nicholas. Troy Nicholas was great. Was great. I, that, Troy Nicholas was the signing day throw-in. Yeah, guy. that's that's a that's quite a class at it that was point. Just like they were, they couldn't get enough defensive ends. And everybody loved Everett Golson. Was also in that yep. class. Um, last year and this year have nine top three hundreds, and there was only six in 2010, which makes sense because of uh, the transition. Yeah. So I don't know. You figure this is five, six, or seven, right? If you look yeah, at it's right that, in the middle. Yeah, yeah, five, six. Or seven. I like the 12 class. If you're looking on signing day. 
there was no one that wasn't thinking of those 16 guys when they had four five stars and four four stars. Like, this isn't a great class. People really thought so. And then you find out why having 16 is bad, because you end up with six when it's all yeah. said and done. That's, that's the issue. When, when, you, when you consider that this could have been a disastrous class. Yeah, they had a disadvantage, as the previous two classes <sighs> certainly didn't have. That's... Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, I remember that 2011 class. People there, people were asking the coaching staff, do you feel like you've developed a reputation as the place to go for, like, defensive ends? Because, uh, I mean, the class was so that out of the ordinary. Yeah. You're just like, whoa, what just happened? Um, was Clowney in that class? Because otherwise, Tewitt and Lynch are the best gets at that point, Ooh. right? I mean, I think Clowney must have been. I, Think that he was in there. Otherwise, one of those two had to be number. Would have been. Yeah, I mean, one. yeah, that was that was a crazy, that was a crazy class. <laughs> a question from Double A WT. Anyone left to commit? Graduate transfers, late signees, etc. You know, there was a report in the South Bend Tribune that Notre Dame was exploring a graduate transfer, um, and I, it looked like Kelly had eliminated either line. Tight end or linebacker, so it's a skill position player, and I think the notion is people are going to jump as like, ooh, a receiver or safety. I would say it's a quarterback. Kelly mentioned the quarterback position more than once yesterday. He had experience there, um, not just with us, but like on other interviews that he okay. did outside of um, the Goog. And it just sort of got me thinking, like, mm, I wonder if he's looking for... You know, maybe a, an Evan Sharpley type situation when he came back, not in a position to play a whole lot, but... A, a situation where gives us some insurance on the bench because look, it's it's a pretty critical year next year, and you don't want Brandon Wimbush's uh, ankle turning and that derailing the whole situation. So more sharply than Russell Wilson is what you're saying. There. Yeah, <laughs> you're looking for a guy who can come in and yes. be part of your program and help you. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Sharp. Sorry, yeah. but no, he's, I mean, that's just he wouldn't take offense to that. He wouldn't. Yeah, that's why he's Russell Wilson. No, but I think people are concerned. They don't want anybody competing with Brandon Wimbush. This should be Brandon Wimbush's team. So you're saying a guy that would love to go to Notre Dame, get a degree, and be a solid player that's probably projects to saving you two games more than Ian Book was. What? Yeah. That's yeah. what you're looking at. I think yeah. you're looking at a quarterback who come in and give you a little bit more than what Ian Book's giving you. Buffalo Mike. Why can't ND ever go into the JC ranks to find some players of need, such as DT or defensive end? Surely somewhere there are good JC players who have taken their education somewhat seriously. If... If okay. if, acad- <laughs> if academics were important, you would tend to it in high school. It, you don't flip a switch with you know with academics and uh, or without the educational background to succeed at Notre Dame. I had the educational background, and what's Elston's term about drinking water through a fire hose? That was me in Notre Dame. So I you just. This isn't a flip of the switch kind of thing. If you're not, if you don't have the background, if you haven't built the educational foundation, you are going to fail at Notre Dame. Yes, uh, and look, they've they've taken guys. I mean, I think Lewis Nix would tell you that he's a great example of this. They took a guy with really no educational foundation at all and built one for him. Um, but it was hard work, and he's a super bright guy. Not only for Nix. But for the school and the coaching staff, I mean that was a huge project. Um, so that's uh, it's it's tough. Um, it's, it's you see all these. Where did the JC defensive linemen go? They go to Oklahoma or West Virginia or Washington State. I mean, they don't they don't they're not going to Stanford, Duke, or Notre Dame. Um, you know, if you if you look out sort of outside of Notre Dame's sphere here. You can see where they're going, and they're not going to high academic schools. I looked, uh, I did quick research on this one because obviously we all know the name Larry Moriarty from 
30 years ago as a J.C. transfer. Well, you and I know the yeah. name. Maybe not a lot of our <laughs> yeah, he was, listeners He, was, he was, a, uh, was at Santa Clara Community College, something along those lines, where he ended up coming to Notre Dame and playing in the NFL. He's a fullback. Um, apparently, I don't remember this much. Maybe you guys, maybe Pete does be involved with recruiting. Remember the name Jeremy Smith from uh, 2014? He was a Fresno. Was it I? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was a Arkansas commit. Their coach, coaching staff turnover to yeah. Bielema. Uh, didn't have his scholarship anymore and went to Fresno Community College or whatever it is. And uh, apparently nobody was looking at him. I, you know, obviously they never got him. No. But that's all I saw. I mean, just a, <laughs> a, 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 a rare, rare exception to the rule. Has, um, remember the name Ricky Gray? From the I East. knew Ricky Gray. Yeah. He uh, looks like a the first unofficial gray shirt of Notre Dame. He went to Holy Cross for his freshman year, which you don't see very often. Because yeah. a lot of guys have some great yeah, issues and go to Holy Cross. Yeah. He actually went there for his freshman year to go to Notre Dame. So but again, that, that's so long ago. Yeah, that's no, just well, such a There were probably no, there's no internet to point out that Notre Dame was doing that probably back yeah. then. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or blog. Question for, <laughs> however you refer to our work. J-Law1 asks, what, what changes have to be made in the recruiting operation? I'm interested in knowing what staff aren't doing or what they have to do better to consistently be closer to number five. Yeah, it's, um, I think that they have a solid foundation and the biggest upside for this year is going to have Brian Polian, Chip Long, Delvon Alexander, and the rest of the staff here for a full year. Um, you know, I'm curious to see what kind of recruiters Clark Lee and Mike Elko are. Um, they seem like pretty solid guys. Um, but, I mean, we know Pullian and Long are going to be Bulldogs. I think Alexander will be good, too. You know, what What they're able to, to turn around in, in year one, because I think you see this at a lot of places when there's a staff change, that transition class is you're holding it together, and then the next year you see a big jump up. Are we going to see that big jump up? Because I, I think that they have the operation in place to be really good. That The thing that next year's class might be hard to process or calculate is how big it's going to be because there's you look at the seniors who are de- who are departing there aren't a ton of them um it may be a class that is in the high teens not in the low 20s and sometimes that can affect your ranking i think bit. you made a really good point earlier about next year won't be tight end offensive line heavy so it's a real test you know those are Notre Dame strengths and recruiting so it'll be a real test to see where they rank or how they do at, um, you know, other needs that uh, generally prevent Notre Dame from being up at the top. Yeah, actually, fairly quickly uh, over the last two years, two quarterbacks, which is the right amount, three running backs. That includes Deion McIntosh, uh, five wide receivers, two tight ends. Which, because of the situation, you don't need more than one. You know, it's always good to. You want to go zero two zero. You want to go zero two one. And just a note. Let me just insert a note there. Deion McIntosh remains at receiver. Yeah. Um, so it's really two running backs right. then over the right. last two years. Uh, offensive line is seven because they will be losing two fifth years and Quentin Nelson uh, is a senior for sure. And you you may have to go for four more offensive linemen next yeah, year. Yeah, because I, I mean, you look, I mean, Glinchy's gone. Bivens gone. Nelson will sort of leave. leave. Burn is a Jim senior Burn that's might, never played. Burn might come back, yeah. might come back, might not, you know, maybe, a, but it, that's like a Mark Carroll type right. that you're hoping as a reserve opposed to a front-line guy. Uh, defensive tackle, if you, I added Khalid Kareem because he can play a little inside just for the point here, is uh, four. Defensive end, rush end is five. Linebackers, four. Safety slash rover, which takes some getting used to now, is seven. Cornerback, as we know, is three. And obviously corner will be a, a thing for next year. 
Yeah, no, there's no question. Fortunately, Todd Light seemed to indicate that he felt like the corner board was friendly to them next year. Their top guy by far will be Houston Griffith, who has Chicago roots. Dad played at Illinois, been to Notre Dame a ton of times. He's at IMG now. I mean, that's that's the guy they have to get. And for the record, uh, just something that was addressed yesterday, fifth-year seniors, it looks like it'll be McGlinchey, certainly, uh, Durham Smythe, Hunter Bibbon. McGovern's going to uh, Virginia. Jacob Matuska's not coming back. Is there anybody else? Uh, Montalus went to Virginia. Right? Montalus went to Virginia as well. So, yeah, that, that I think wraps up that. We kind of know what the roster is going to be. 86 I mean, guys right now, which was a fun exchange with Coach Kelly and I. There's 86 guys. There could be an 87th. With you know, the it's like, if I was Brian Kelly, I would be like, does Jim Harbaugh get these questions? Yeah. Because <laughs> Michigan signed 30 guys yesterday That's, and 29 the year before. He seemed to know what I was going to ask yeah. as I got the mic and he started laughing. So I thought <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. I ask it every year because, yeah. well, I, I mean, little, I think he knows that we want them to have 88 or 89 yes. right now because it's 86 and it'll be like... 81 by the time it rolls yeah. around. Yeah, there'll be injuries and all that good stuff. So that's, uh, I think, a wrap for National Signing Day. Uh, we'll take a little bit of a break. We'll be back on February 13th on our next podcast. ACC schedule will trudge on. We'll see how Notre Dame hoops can turn it around. Um, Notre Dame's first junior day will have come and gone by then as well. So we'll get into recruiting of the next cycle uh, on our next podcast, February 13th. So until then, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. Thank you.